Today on the Podcast Review Show, we're looking at everything, everywhere, daily at everything-everywhere.com. Welcome to the Podcast Review Show, hosted by radio veteran Eric K. Johnson from PodcastTalentCoach.com and Hall of Fame podcaster Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting. Dave and Eric help you identify those things you are doing right so you can do more of those and lose those things that don't deliver value to your audience. Join in on the conversation at podcastreviewshow.com. Welcome to the Podcast Review Show. I'm Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting.com. This is where we bring people on to find out what they're doing so they can do more of that and find those things that maybe need a little bit of polish. And as always, here to help me is my buddy down there. That's always weird pointing. You know him as the podcast talent coach, Eric K. Johnson. Eric, how are you? I am very well, Dave. Thanks for uh, having me on for yet another episode. Looking forward to this one here. Today, we are joined by Gary Arndt and uh, reviewing his show, Everything Everywhere Daily. Gary, thanks for being here with us today, buddy. Thank you for having me. Tell us uh, a little bit about the show, Everything, Everywhere, Daily. What's it all about and who is it intended for? As the name might imply, it literally covers everything and everywhere. I know that one of the rules in podcasting is to niche down. and But the audience, is, the, the subject matter is not niche. But I think the audience is the people who would used to watch the History Channel when it actually had history. I remember that. Who, yeah. So people who are intellectually curious. And one of the things I never intended, but I've gotten a lot of feedback from, is there are parents who listen to it with their kids, that they'll listen to it as they drop their kids off because it's a short show. I keep it very clean and it's long enough where they can listen to it when they drop their kids off to school. And I have larger than I thought audience of nine and 10 year olds who, yeah, even though I am not writing it for children at all, who actually enjoy it as well. So nice. That's always one of those fun things where you design a program for who you think it's for. And then you go, and I attracted a whole bunch of these people. And you're like, but to be honest, I did this show for myself. This is the show that I wanted to listen to. And it didn't really exist. I was always the kind of person who I, when I was a kid, I read the encyclopedia today. I'm the guy who will get lost for hours in Wikipedia going from one article to the next. And you don't know where you end up. And before I started this, I was traveling around the world for since 2007. So like I did, I literally didn't have a home for 10 years and I've been podcasting for quite a while. I've been, I've had a podcast this week in travel ever since 2009. So I've been doing it a while. I was doing streaming audio back in the Winamp days. If you remember that. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, So I know I've been involved with the internet for a very long time. I started an internet company back in 1994 doing web application development. And I I was pretty well known in the travel world. I had a very successful travel blog by the same name as the podcast, Everything Everywhere. Um, But then a, a little thing called the pandemic hit. And I never in a million years thought that the entire travel and tourism industry would disappear. Yeah. Which is literally what happened. Yeah. And in March last year, 2020, my income basically vanished. Wow. Entirely vanished. It went down by 95%. All the contracts and the projects I was working on evaporated. And I was talking, I, I, because of kind of my status in the travel industry, I knew a lot of rather 
high placed people in travel brands, as well as at like large, the editors of major travel sections of newspapers and magazines. And I talked to some of these people and what they were telling me was, this is really bad. Like 9-11 was bad for the travel business, but this is a thousand times worse because this is in, in, it's not, oh, eventually this will end and then we can travel again. No, that's not even, some people are traveling right now, but the businesses behind this and international travel, everything is so flaky with what's going on and different countries are experiencing different things that it was radically, this is something that was going to affect this industry for years. And if you remember last year, so many of the companies were just trying to survive. They were trying to not have to fire everyone. And many of them did. They weren't in the position of marketing or advertising because there was no demand for travel. So I needed to think of uh, something. And I had this back idea for a show that I wanted to do similar to this current show, but it was a much longer format show. And I began researching and I got the artwork done. I got the theme music I bought on a stock music site and I had everything ready to go. And I was doing research and I realized this is going to be like a two to three hour show. And I just... (laughs) put it aside because I did the math and I realized this wasn't probably going to work. So when this all happened, I realized, okay, I need to, I have a good following online. I don't know if you've seen any of my social accounts, but I was thinking, okay, I need to diversify from the travel industry. I can't rely on it, but I also don't want to give up this, the expertise and the authority that I've developed. And so I wanted something that was travel adjacent. And I had this idea that I had before And then I did the math and I have some friends that have been very successful with daily podcasts. Chris Gillibo has won the side hustle school and he is making a fantastic amount of money off of it. And I've seen what John Lee Dumas is doing and other people that have done really well. What they had in common was they're either doing daily podcasts or they're doing at least more than one a week. And I just sat down and I did the math. If I was to do this as a weekly show versus a daily show and the results were overwhelming. Uh, And I had nothing else going on in my life. And so I pitched this off some of my friends that have successful podcasts. I don't know if Chris Christensen, uh, he's a longtime podcast. He was my co-host for 12 years on This Week in Travel. So I'm really good friends with him. And I proposed this idea. He goes, I think this is a great idea, but it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, It's trying to do a daily show. And I'm like, Work I can do right now because <laughs> I got nothing. And uh, so I, I developed a plan for how to all the different segments of the show, how I would do it. And I launched it on July 1st of last year. And I've been basically with one brief exception where I had to move. I've been putting out a show every single day. So did, did this show replace the travel show or do you still do the travel show as well? I'm, st- I'm still doing the travel show. And is that weekly? Yes, but there are problems with it. One is that the audience for anything travel is highly contingent upon if someone is going on a trip. Yeah. It does in travel never gets the audiences that politics, sports, technology, fashion, anything else where there's new things going on. Yeah. Travel has nothing new going on. They're not making new islands in the Caribbean. They're not <laughs> making new Roman ruins. It's frequent flyer stuff and things like that. So it's a limited audience. Yeah. And the other thing was, is we went on hiatus for several months because of the pandemic, because we had nothing to talk about. Right. Every episode was just talking about the virus. And when we started it back up again this March, we lost a lot of our audience. Yeah. Like it, we lost half of it and it's just simply not come back. So as to what happens with that show, I don't know. 
So with this current show, daily show, how often do you record and how many episodes at a time? I record once a day, every day. You, because you do it actually, you do it daily. I have to because the recording is easy because I'm only recording myself. I don't have another person. I don't have to worry about all everything that you a normal podcast would worry about like this one. The show is I write a script every day. So that part's easy. It's not like I have to get rid of ums and ahs. So the actual recording is the easiest thing that I do. It's the research and the writing that's the hardest part. Now, to give you an example, we're recording this at 840 right now, my time. My show that's going to come out at four in the morning, I haven't started writing it yet. This is normal for me. Uh, <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. I have it all mapped out, right. but I just need to sit down and actually write it. And it's about 1500 words usually uh, every day. And, and, and do you do the research in real time as well? I know roughly what I'm So I have a list of about 425 show future episodes. Okay. So every time I come up with an idea, I just put it on the list and I have a rough idea of what I'm going to say. Because the shows are pretty short, I'm not getting into the deep weeds on a lot of subjects. So it's not like I'm doing the history of World War II or, or something like that. The episode okay. that we're listening today, just it seemed like there was a research involved in barcodes. We're listening to your barcodes episode. History of barcodes and how they came about. You had some great 1930s stats in there and some Kmart stuff. And I was like, okay, he's done some research. Yeah. That was all in one day, basically. Yeah. Wow. But I usually, I came up with the barcode idea. I'll come up with a lot of these ideas. I did one on shipping containers several months ago. And that took me down this rabbit hole of all the different things involved with like logistics and retail that a lot of people, they know about, but they don't like, you. we've all seen barcodes, but what do those numbers mean? And I'm finding out, okay, there's a method to this madness as to how it works and why it actually does. And a lot of people just, they don't know that. So that was a big chunk of the episode. So Gary, tell me this. You talk about wanting to get the podcast to the level where you can sell ad inventory for it. And um, I'm doing a little of that now, but I'm not at it, the point yet where a network is going to want me. But the question becomes, if the show is for everybody, how does an advertiser know your shows for th helps them reach their specific audience? If Tide wants to advertise and they advertise in soap operas because typically women watch soap operas and they're the ones buying Tide, how do we know that everything everywhere for everybody fits Advertiser X? Tide would probably not be a good advertiser for my show. Based on the demographics that I have from Spotify, and that's all I have. So I don't know if it's accurate or not. That's showing that the audience is about 70 to 80% male and middle-aged. You're going from straight stats and you're selling here. This is, well, though, I, though I say my show's for everybody and everyone, it's really 70% middle-aged guys. The topic area covers a wide variety of things. And, and thanks is, for calling me middle-aged, Gary. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> the topic area does cover a wide variety of things. That's true. And there are many very successful YouTube channels and other podcasts, for that matter, that have stuff you should know, what I learned today, that there are channels like that on YouTube that are, have millions of subscribers. So I think there's definitely an audience for it. As to who actually listens... I know it's going to attract probably people that are a bit more educated, probably are a bit more well off because they tend to be people that are intellectually curious. That's just a 
I'm pulling that out of my butt analysis. I don't have any data or anything behind it. Yeah. Um, but, but, in, but it's I, logical. I think, Makes sense. But, and if you listen to some of the affiliate ads that I'm currently running on the show, it's like Curiosity Stream, Skillshare, Brilliant, Masterclass, educational type things, which I really think fit the theme of the show. Great. Yeah, I love that idea. The, the, the danger of comparing the podcast to a YouTube channel with millions of people is YouTube ads can be, I'll get a different ad than Dave would no, get because of just their tracking and their pixels. But with a podcast, everybody's getting your audible spot at the beginning of the show. It's yeah, not I, as customized. And I understand the name is Everything Everywhere which is extremely broad, but I don't in any way think that I truly, that the audience is anyone. There are a great many people. If you are deeply concerned about who Kim Kardashian is dating, this is not the podcast for you. (laughs) So it's almost everything, almost everywhere. (laughs) No, like again, the subject matter is I could do an episode on that maybe, but I don't foresee that a lot of the people that are into the reality TV show podcasts or stuff like that are going to be this audience. So yours is a lot of facts and trivia. And wow, I didn't know that. Hence back to your history channel analogy, which I appreciate. Yeah, I love that. So if you were to make an avatar, which I know a lot of people like to think of for a podcast, like I said, it's that kind of person who is intellectually curious for the sake of curiosity. Yeah. Why don't we jump into it and uh, let's listen to the intro as we always do. We'll listen to the first few minutes of the show and uh, we'll dive into it from there. And Gary, as we're going through it, if you have any questions, uh, by all means, hit us up. In 1949, a young inventor named Norman Woodland was sitting on the beach in Florida. While drawing some lines in the sand, he had an idea that would revolutionize the world of retail and logistics. In fact, his invention might be found somewhere around you or on your person at this moment. Learn more about barcodes and the closely related universal product codes on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America by Michael Ruhlman. And so that's where I cut it off because at that point we're, first of all, I, I love people that take this much time to find a book on Audible that fits their audience or ties in with the topic. It makes that affiliate program work multiple times I better. I do it for every episode. Yeah. And just anecdotally, I've had people say, you're, you have the only podcast where I listen to the, the advertisements because I make it part of the content uh, for the show. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's just for me. Yeah, the, uh, I did a podcast for musicians. And when Sam Hagar came out with a book where he threw Eddie Van Halen completely under the bus. And I, first of all, I usually read the book. I would go that far and then I would talk about it and say, if you want to hear the rest of it, but just doing what you did is more than most people do. They're just like, Hey, get a free book. It's there. They got tons. Check it out. That doesn't get people to, to click or go check it out. I thought that was really good. I, I, Eric, I, I don't know if you want to take the, his tease or not. There was one thing I had a, I like, I love the tease until one part. So I'll let you take that. I liked it. The thing I loved about the tease was that it was quick. It was 24 seconds and it set up exactly um, what was to come in the episode. I I appreciated the tease. The the thing that concerned me is it felt like the tease went straight into the audible spot 
without really a show open. And I'm not really sure what the show's about. Like even after listening to the single episode without knowing much more about the the concept of the show, I really didn't get a feel for um, who you are and what we talk about on the episodes. What is the overarching? Are we talking trivial things or things you didn't know or things that make you go or crazy things in history? Or I, I really, I don't know the concept of the show because it was missing that little piece of introduction that told me what we do on the episodes. Yeah. You said a phrase earlier, I think it was intellectually curious. And I was like, I like that phrase. I'm like, use that. That was, that's a great example of, Hey, if you're intellectually curious, you're in the right place. Even that little piece would have told me what the show's all about. Even those two words would have told me, Oh, okay. Now I know what we're talking about. So so just, so I I have that intro music. So you're saying maybe like a voiceover on the intro music, just, that, that's one okay. of my favorite pet peeves, which is what I call music for the sake of nothing. So it could have been, bam, 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 bam. welcome to Everything Everywhere Daily for the, the podcast for the intellectually curious. And the tease for me, I would have said, you, and you did a great job. You're like, you, you might be using this right now. 54 million people do blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what it is right after this. Bam, bam, bam. Welcome to Everything Everyday Daily for the intellect and then go into the Audible ad which ties into and see that's the problem. I see why you did it because the the audible ad ties into the barcode. So I understand why well, you did that now. The other thing is uh, because I'm doing a daily show, I'm very concerned about my workflow. That intro is the exact audio I use for a TikTok video and on Instagram. And I take that text and I cut and paste it. And that's the text that goes when I post the show to Facebook or LinkedIn or everywhere else. So I always have it a set length and then I reuse that everywhere. Love the repurpose. Yeah. Cause I just know if you leave people hanging, they will sit through the ad to figure out what the heck he was talking about. It's a, hence the name. It's a tease. And I'm like, wait, what is it? It's something that's, so I don't know if there's a way you could say, and you see it every day in a grocery store without letting the cat out of the bag. I don't know, but that was just, that was the only thing I saw. I was like, oh, you like, you let me, you let me know what it was without, like you had me wondering, what is that? And then you told me and I was like, I'm done. I I, I know what the answer is. That was my only thing, but I get why if you're trying to repurpose, that's, it's tough to get it right because not everything is going to work in every place in that whole nine yards. So that was the only thing I saw, but I did. I love the, I love the audible read and the book recommendation there and how it ties into the whole show and it all came together nicely. So I I love the ad at the beginning and I love the fact that you recommend a book and then say, if you want it, here's the opportunity to get it through audible, which was fantastic. So to me, the only thing that missed was just that little intellectually curious piece that gave me the the idea of the show. That's actually a good idea. I've never, I honestly, I hadn't thought of that putting a, because when I, when I launched the show, I was thinking, okay, do I do a regular show open? And I went with a cold open because I could repurpose it, but I never yeah. really thought of putting some, some voiceover on that. And, and it could, could just be you. It doesn't necessarily need to be a voiceover guy. Like after you, you say, um, and today we, on today's episode of, of everything everywhere. And then welcome to the show. I'm Gary Arndt. This is where we talk about interesting things in society for the intellectually curious or however you want to phrase it, which just sets up the show. Because even after listening to this show, if somebody said, what does Gary talk about on everything everywhere? And I don't know. I don't know if it's if you talk about really cool inventions that we just don't know the origin of, or if you talk about in just 
things in history we didn't recognize. I don't know. I don't know what the overarching theme is just by listening to this single episode. Yeah, Mike Rowe had a show, still has a show called The Way I Heard It. And I forget what his tagline was, but it was just, I remember it was like something stories for people with a short attention span because they were all super short. And it was, it was a way for the person that you're trying to hit go, oh, well, that's me. I'm in the right place. And some guy named Eric K. Johnson said something <laughs> once. It was really cool. And he said, nobody gets on a bus without knowing where it goes. And I was like, that's a good point, Eric. And uh, so just by having that little intro, you, but your intro is doing a great job. You're letting them know, hey, we're going to learn about barcodes today. But also by that, just that little brief intro, people go, oh, I'm in the right spot. This is I'm, I'm not in geometry when I'm supposed to be in gym for those days of us of the horror of high school. But how do you, re obviously you have, it looks like the Rode Procaster. What kind of processing do you do on your show? I just see the Rode Podcaster. Podcaster. So it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's an older one. It's a, it goes right, it's a USB, just goes right into my computer. I record directly to GarageBand and I do it in blocks. So the intro, the advertisement, the outro are all recorded just a separate little bit. And uh, then I put them together like Legos and save it. <laughs> As a WAV file, I run it through Levelator, convert to MP3, and upload. That's yeah. pretty much it. And it, it, it. Part of my job is to be nitpicky, mm -hmm. and I, it's probably the Levelator. And I, Eric, did you think at times his breath seemed more up in the mix than typical? Yeah, at the beginning, for about the first three minutes, I noticed them quite heavily. And then I noticed they disappeared, like they didn't exist at all for a, a section in there. And I'm like, wow, what is the difference? And it sounded like you were opening your mouth more to get that breath in, in the middle of the episode than you were at the beginning of the episode. And you were trying to breathe a lot closer to the mic. And I could, I, the, I, they were noticeable to the point where they caught my attention at the beginning and I started listening for them and I couldn't even hear, I couldn't even hear you breathe in the middle. The only thing I could think of is that on GarageBand, I usually have a noise gate set up at negative uh, 40 decibels. And the reason I do that is simply because when I started recording the show, I was in a studio apartment with where I was 10 feet from a refrigerator yeah. and in a room that had <laughs> solid wood floors. And there was always some background, some latent background noise, and I wanted to get rid of it. So I just put in a noise filter, and I've been using that ever since. So maybe that cuts out some of the breaths. I'm Might not be. sure. Yeah. And maybe it just wasn't used on one part or something like that. But it, it's just one of those things where I was like, is that me being picky? Or is, and then I went and listened to me, and you're, we're going to get our geek on. It, on a volume level, you were at like minus 12. And that's usually where I tell people, to like somewhere between minus 12 and minus six is where you're shooting for. And then I went and looked at mine and mine were like minus 30 and Eric apparently never breathes because I went and looked at his show. And so it was just <laughs> one of those things I was like, no, I think you're it just, and it sounded like they were compressed. So it wasn't even, it was like, it was like almost like a kind of sound. I was like, there's some processing going on there. And I'm like, I don't know if it's just me being picky. Other, or, other than Levelator, I don't do anything. Oh, okay. Um, and it might just be, it might just be physiology. It yeah. may be, if your tongue is too close to the roof of your mouth, there's a smaller air spot and it goes, and then when you open your mouth more and take and flatten your tongue out, there's a bigger windpipe and it doesn't make that sound. And it could just be you relaxed more as you got into the episode 
and your breathing relaxed a little bit, slowed down, and it just didn't make the sound. I've, I freely admit that the audio part of what I'm doing probably could use a lot of improvement. I, when I started this, my goal was to create a minimum viable podcast. Yeah. And I think the audio is good enough. Oh yeah. I've absolutely. never had a complaint about it, nope. but I, I'm sure there's probably more than I can do. And the plan is first grow the show. And then when I have more resources, I'm definitely, whether it's equipment or yeah. hiring someone, whatever that might be, then I can probably invest in, in really polishing it. Yeah. And, and for we the- only heard it because we have dog ears Yeah, and most people aren't even going to realize it happened. They've said it's nitpicky. Yeah. Um, I, I just having critiqued people on the radio for 30 years, I pick up things like that. I used to have a a guy, he he owned a jewelry store and he would come in and record his commercials, which is the bane of every radio person's existence. When you, when the client wants to record their own commercials, because they're never good, but he would, and then he'd do his line and then he'd do another line. And and then he would want us to go in and edit out every breath. And I'm like, oh my. And this was back when we were on doing tape. So it wasn't just pull up the waveform and delete the breaths. It was going and edit out every little breath. I'm like, oh. So my ears are a little more sensitive to it. Thank you, Mr. um, Vader. Yes. Exactly. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's killing me. But it isn't anything that is is drastic. Just uh, something I noticed. It wasn't anything crazy. I do think you have a great voice. Yeah. And uh, your presentation was very book narrator style, like a professional book narrator that knows what he's doing. A lot of book narration is very, you could tell they're reading the book, right? It's their diction is too perfect. Your diction is sloppy enough to sound like you're telling me the story and not reading the story, which is very difficult to accomplish. And you do it spot on. Yeah, it's I, I loved it. I have a background, actually. I was one of the top academic debaters in the country back in college. And uh, so I have a lot of uh, speaking experience and a lot of you know experience actually reading stuff. And so yeah. I, I got an idea and I listened to enough podcasts where you can always tell the really people who are boring, especially history podcasts, like the real good ones like Dan Carlin. He's really telling a story and not just reading a script. And some of the boring history podcasts are literally just reading they're a professor or something yeah not only do you read it really well it has a nice story arc to it you write really well where it takes me from beginning to end through the entire um, process and discovery of the barcode and you give enough technical information with the the digital zero and one and on and off and the thickness of the and all upside down and all of that technical stuff without being um, too technical. You didn't lose me. Like I, I didn't start glazing over from all of the, the beeps well, and knots and such. Since that's you, always a challenge. Since you brought right. that up, stuff like this. The 95 lines are grouped into 15 sections. Three of the groups are called guards. They are the longer lines on the far left, the far right, and in the middle. And not to be, not to forget. For those of you knowledgeable in computers, note that each number in a UPC code uses seven bits not the normal eight bits that characters use in ASCII. So that's where I was. And that's where for me, about seven minutes in, I was because I should have. I liked because I worked in a grocery store for six years when I was younger. But when you really started getting to that stuff, for me, that's when I was like, am I supposed to be taking note? Am I going to 
program a bar. So for me, I was there. There are two types of audiences when it comes to cars. There are mechanics who want all those details. They want to know what the horsepower in and what's this and the angle of the spoiler and that. And then there are people that just love to drive them and go fast. And I'm much more of a, I want to drive and go fast. I don't really care how the car is made. So when you started getting into that, I was like, where are we going? So I was the complete opposite, Gary. I was in the drive through at Fazoli's waiting for my pizza and you got to that part and I all of a sudden start looking around my car for anything with a barcode. I'm like, hold on, these rails? What? I well, Wait a minute. And I couldn't find anything. So I pulled up on my phone the artwork of the episode so I could see a barcode and see the rails that you were talking about. I'm like, damn, uh, there they are right there. Like, that was it. How, why didn't I notice that? I was walking then around you, the neighborhood. Uh, and then you started talking I mean, about the zero and one so it can be read upside down. And I'm like, genius. Like, how did I not notice that? There you go. You picked an episode that was a, a bit more technical than what I normally do. A lot of times I'll do a story from ancient Rome or explaining an operation in World War II, and I don't have to get too technical. This okay, one I did it. go into the week. Uh, <laughs> this one I did go into the weeds a little bit. I did an episode actually if, like last week where I was really hesitant to, to do this episode because I have, I have a degree in mathematics and there's a thing that I always like showing people because you can do it on the back of a napkin to show that there are some infinities larger than other infinities. And this idea blows people's minds, but it doesn't involve any equations or anything else. It's just an idea, but you can show it to people. So I actually did uh, an episode on it, not knowing if it was going to be a complete flop or not, but I realized if it does I get back on the horse the next day. It's a daily show. And awesome. Well, you did have some great stats. There are infinities that are bigger than other infinities. <laughs> Listen uh, to the episode. That, yeah. That, that's, that can't be possible. It's infinity. No, it is. It blows your mind. But once you get it, then you're like, oh, yeah, right, that makes what sense. What episode is it? I got to go listen to it now. <laughs> it's called Infinity and Beyond. I did it like a week ago. Oh, Infinity go. and Beyond. Yeah. There you go. Of course it is. <laughs> but I did the fact that you had what I called like dinner party facts that you can say, oh, I heard this on a podcast and things like this. Barcodes are incredibly ubiquitous in the world today. It's estimated that every day there are 500 billion barcode scans around the world. Without the simple barcode, much of our modern economy simply wouldn't function. So for me, that was like a great, that was towards the end of the episode. And I was like, that was like 500 billion. That's a big number. That's only okay. If you look at a lot of my reviews, there's a common thread through a lot of them. It's like, you help me win arguments with people. We win pub <laughs> trivia. And it's those kind of things. And that's awesome. I always tell people, just use your powers for good instead of evil, unless it's taking money from your friends. If you can do that at a bar bet, I'm all for it. There you go. I just need 10%. That's it. Exactly. And uh, But as Eric mentioned earlier, you obviously put some time and effort into this. This isn't somebody like... Today, we're going to talk about barcodes and you just wing it and it's off the top of your head and 15 tangents about Game of Thrones in the middle of it for no apparent reason. I like the flow of it. Like I said, for me, the details were like, huh? But on the other hand, they, it was like throwing gasoline on air. Yeah, oh, absolutely. When you got into talking about the reason we use QR codes instead of yeah. barcodes for websites, because barcodes only hold digits, I was like, that makes total sense. It was, it was awesome. I, I enjoyed the information because I geek out. I am the intellectually curious. I go, I'm the guy that says, why do we do that? Why are some lines on the barcode thicker than others? Damn it. I want to know. I'm that guy. 
One question that I've gotten from a lot of people is what are the most popular episodes? What are the, what are, what is it that people want to hear? And I wish I had the answer to that. If I look at my download data, or if I just look at anecdotally what people tell me, it's all over the place. Mm. Like I'll get people, oh yeah, I like that episode about Sejanus in ancient Rome. It's, oh, I like that one about the history of the elevator. And I'm trying to find some a common thread because maybe I could do more of those shows or, or focus on it. In but Spotify, really- can you pull demographic information for particular episodes or is it just for your show overall? I, I don't it, know. Yeah, I think it's just for the show. That's too and, bad. and you also get to know what your audience listens to. And apparently because- I have a... I have a large amount of Ed Sheeran people listening to my podcast. So it's like because that new Ed Sheeran song is amazing. God, <laughs> what a great song. A lot of what I experience is what you guys have just shown right here. It's like you didn't care for one part. You loved one part. And so you're always, uh, because it's a show well, it covers everything yeah. that you uh, basically what I've just was rather than trying to drill down and everything, I'm just going to stick with my gut and try to do the shows that I think people would find interesting. And it could be anything. I've done a show on why is sliced bread the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, awesome. That's showing your, an answer. Yeah. And it's showing your personality. And that's the part as we get to towards the end of the, the episode, all of a sudden your personality really started to show up. And it was a very unique ending. So here's how that went. Thanks, Ricky G. I don't know if you hang out with other Ricky G's or if there's a Ricky G club. But if there is, could you mention the podcast, uh, Ricky Gervais? or actress Ricky Garcia, or Latin recording artist Ricky G. And if there isn't a Ricky G Club, maybe you should consider making it. Remember, if you leave a review, or if you just send me a question via email or social media, I may read it on the show. And that's it. There's no thanks for listening. Our website is such and such. It's if you leave me a review, I'll read it, which is a great piece of advice. And that's how you get people to leave reviews. But if the goal is to raise your numbers, you want to ask them to share this with a friend. If you know somebody else who would love to know about barcodes. Normally I do. Okay. So I have a stock outro that I use on most episodes and I do a custom outro only when I have a review or an email. And I would say that four to five shows I'm using the stock intro, which is support me on Patreon, share it with your friends, that kind of thing. Because- I figure if I'm already reading the review, then to tack on more stuff might be a bit much. Absolutely. Only one call to action. That's what we preach around these parts. Right before that part, you read a five-star review there, which I thought was awesome. Nice little shout out to the listener. He says, I love reviews without saying, hey, I love reviews. And I thought that was a nice little touch. And I agree with Dave. Your personality starts coming out. You, you get, have a little fun with it there at the end, which I, I thought was great. If you send me a question via email or social, I may read it on the show great way to get a little disclaimer in there. Hey, if you send it to me, it's free game and I'm going to use it on the show. You might just include where to submit that question. You can always email me at at gary at everywhere.com or whatever your email address is and let that just live by itself in that custom outro when you don't use your stock one. Um, But that's the only thing I would have changed about the ending is just send me somewhere. Tell me where to go. Have me go do something to continue the conversation with you. Yeah. Cause when you, if you only promote, cause you could say, go out to the website, there's a link for reviews and you can leave a review on Apple or Podchaser or these other things. Cause the problem is people only promote Apple. And what they don't realize is when you do that, 75% of Europe is using an Android phone and they go, I guess he's not talking to me. So they go on, but it is a great way. 
to as, as long as your thought isn't, if I get more reviews, I'll get more downloads. Reviews are like helpful as a Yelp review is that if somebody finds your show, they might go, wow, he's got 300 five stars and, and two one stars. They it's might social proof. Yeah, social I mean, proof. I mean, I understand how it works. Yeah, great. So when we go to your website, my first question, and this is, everybody's going to go, oh, you're going to ask that because you work for Libsyn. But what's, <laughs> what's with the fascination with CastBox? Oh, very simple explanation. If you want to get promoted on CastBox and for them to feature you, you need to have their embedded player on your site. The end. I'm waiting for CastBox to feature me. That's it. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you look on my Twitter bio, I have a link to CastBox and I'm waiting for them to do it because I, they won't even let me buy ads on CastBox until I have a thousand followers on CastBox. Wow. Interesting. But every... And we can get to uh, talk about promotion later on, but yeah, I've been uh, every month like clockwork. I submit my show to be featured on Castbox, and I've, I've my show has never been featured anywhere at this point. So all the growth has been pretty much organic, and uh, not organic. I've been buying ads on players, but yeah, that's the reason. Okay, because no reason. I was wondering because, and this sounds very weird from the Libsyn guy, is our player was called ugly for years, and now in Libsyn five there are new players that are beautiful. And also, and I was very happy because when I first came here, I was like, oh, no, he doesn't have episodes, but you actually do, which is great. If I scroll down, so you can yeah. go here. So that's good because I see a lot of people will only have a show player and a show player is what some people call a jukebox. It's like this big square that has multiple episodes in it and you can click on it. But the bad news is that show player, even though I'm looking at it on your website, is not on your website. It's actually from CastBox sticking through your website. It's this technical thing called an iframe and you get zero Google juice with that. And that's why I always tell people, please have episodes. And that's when I, I was happy when I scrolled down and saw that you did. And when I click on that, then you have your, your show notes and everything else here. In fact, you even have the transcript. So that's even better. The only thing for me, and I realize you're trying to make money here is for me, it just seemed like I couldn't scroll. Like every time I scroll down, like here's one ad in the minute there's already two ads. So there, there are a lot of ads on the site and yeah, I don't know what they're paying, but on the other hand, if this is the sole income, I totally understand. Um, but I, I did like the, enough now that I've published uh, 380 shows, hmm. my ad revenue from my website has increased. It's all by, it's about doubled uh, okay. since I've started the show. So I don't plan that to be the future, but as of right now, actually, yeah, that's 1500 bucks a month for me. Yeah. Um, nice. But I do the fact that you've got your subscribe buttons right here. So that's, that was one I really loved. And, and you already said that you occasionally, when you're not doing a review, you're telling people to go to Patreon. So that's great because if you don't tell people to go, they're not going to go because they don't know it exists. Eric, what were your thoughts when you came over to the website? I like the cleanness of the website. I know there are a lot of ads that pop up here and there, but it to me, it felt when I scroll through a Yahoo article or whatever, it's the, it's the same thing. I think as a web surfer, I'm used to scrolling past them if they're not pertinent to what I do. I like the drop-down menus up top look real clean. I like the, there's a gear opportunity. There are, I feel like there are opportunities for you to make money with the website and the show, but that they aren't, they aren't, um, they don't overtake the entire process. I didn't feel like it was always in my face. I felt like there was great content here and I was getting it. And yeah, there are opportunities for you to make money, but it wasn't like, the podcast was taking second 
fiddle to to the advertising revenue. I liked it. I, I think the overall the website was clean and easy to navigate. And there were a couple of things like when I saw like here you have gear and when I click on electronics. Now this one did. There was one I went. I, I, I should explain. This website has been running since 2006, and it's primarily a travel website. Got it. Because I've been, yeah. that's, that's how most people know me. I was a top travel photographer in North America three times. So this is fundamentally a travel website, and I stuck a page on it for the podcast. Got it. So if you go to like the front page of the website, you'll very clearly see it's Quite, yeah. a travel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably change this, to be completely honest, and I'm going to probably make the podcast the focus of the front page, I just haven't done it yet. The only thing, and it's just a little thing, when you go to the Amazon travel gear store, I would have that open in a new window because if I do this, I now I'm in Amazon and I've lost the podcast. So if I'm like, wait, I want to click on the subscribe, oh wait, where to go? And I have to go back. And it's again, these are little things that web designers like cringe at because you had to, I had to click the back button. I'm like, yeah, because you went forward, click the back button. But some people would like, <laughs> how dare you make me click the back button? So it's crazy. The one thing I did notice is I went to, you have some absolutely stunning photos on your website. I was like, wow. oh, yeah. And I was just yeah, like, like I was saying, this is what people know me for. I, my career as a travel photographer is how I made my name. And like, so like on Instagram, I have a real large following. I have 192,000 people that follow me. They all follow me for pretty pictures, not for, right. you know, a podcast. Gary, uh, can I ask you a quick photo question, which has nothing to do with the podcast we just listened to, but like a photo, that first one we just showed with the cloud and the rainbow and the road, and it's just an amazing storm photograph it is is a photo like that something you just happen upon and you take the photo or do you sit there and wait for the perfect photo to come? That I happened upon. I went on a storm chasing strip uh, trip before the 2017 solar eclipse. And we were in the Texas panhandle when we came across this storm and that's just what was there. You can't wow. really, you can't really sit and wait for a storm. You have to find it because it is really random. Other things you can plan for, but that's a, an ice cave in, in a glacier in Juneau, Alaska. The lightning that I actually planned, we had a saw lightning storm. So I set up for it and took a series of 30 second exposures. And like that one at Petra is something I absolutely planned. Wow. Yeah, they're just, it's amazing photos. I was like, holy cow. Yeah, you can definitely see where the two are crossing over, where you, your travel blog, your travel website, your travel photos are all here. And then the podcast where you're talking to the intellectually curious just happens to have a little spare bedroom here on the website. Yeah. And, and I should add, I think I'm actually going to start another travel podcast later in a couple months. I have a book that I've been working on. Oh, nice. And what I, what, what I came up with is the idea of, doing the book as a podcast. So the new show is going to be called Go Here, Not There. And it's going to be alternatives to, to places that are over-touristed, that get yeah. too many tourists, because there's so many great places in the world. Yep. And every episode, I'll just write a script like I'm doing for my current show. And then at the end of however many, I'll have the book. And I'll have hopefully some sort of audience that I can go to a publisher and say, hey, look, there's interest in this subject. And do it from there. I love the podcast, Gary. I think one thing, and I don't know, I don't have the answer. I don't know how you would incorporate it. But the one thing that the podcast doesn't have is part of your story in it. We, we don't get to learn a whole lot about you and your background. You're fascinating. You have such a, an incredible, well-traveled 
and well-researched background. And the show is entirely focused on your subject matter and not on you. It's just like your photos are completely focused on the subject matter and nothing about you, which is how your life has been. But it would be, I think it would be interesting as a listener to just know a little bit about you. Every Not that you need to tell your full story every episode, but even when when your personality and your sense of humor come out toward the end there with the Ricky Gervais line, just little pieces like that to get to know you a little bit more and, and to love you for everything you that has made you you, I think would go a long way, a little taste of that in the podcast. I, I do dribble it out in different episodes. I think the one you guys listened to on the barcode, there was not a lot of opportunity. The show I did after barcoding, which was about the Fisher Spassky uh, chess match in 1972, my, my reader was, for, or the listener review was from Sweden, and I've been to Sweden, so I actually shared some stories, and nice. I've done episodes in the past about Sustroming, which is the world's smelliest food from Sweden. Uh, I've done shows on personal things that I've encountered, like the, the Veterans Walk Every Day in Nijmegen, Netherlands, and I drop bits all the time. And I did, for show number 100, I basically did here's here's everything about me. Here's how I came to do the show and a lot of what I just explained to you guys. There's one, actually, I'll bounce this off you guys. Now's a good time for it. So I was thinking of doing one change to the format of the show. And that is every week, I was thinking of maybe uh, pick one day a week and bringing someone on the show. Are you guys familiar with Pardon the Interruption on, CN, on ESPN? Yes. I wanted to do a format like that where I bring in a guest, but the goal is not to interview the guest. And what we'll basically do is they can pick, I don't know, let's say 10 past shows I've done, and we'll do a quick format thing every five minutes where it's we just riff on that subject, ding, go to the next subject, ding, go to the next subject. Bring on history podcasters or historians or whoever, and maybe spend a little bit, five, 10 minutes at the front talking to them about themselves, but then we actually go into whatever their thoughts are about some of these subjects. So now that we have a name for our audience, the intellectually curious, does the intellectually curious, is, are they going to enjoy that format? I think so, which is why I want to do it. It would give me a break from writing a show one day a week. Mm. And it would also be able to possibly, one of the reasons I didn't do an interview show, one, it's because everyone does an interview show. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it, but I think to do it really well, you, as you mentioned, you have to put in research for every guest. And I didn't want to do that. And I didn't, I wanted to do something different. And, but I think this is a way that I could bring on a guest and potentially some interesting people, whether they're researchers or, or whatnot. Yet the, sh- the, the episode wouldn't have to be about doing an interview with them and their new book or, or whatever. You could just be bringing them on and talking to them as an authority and kind of having a, I, I was thinking of calling it pardon the information to just riff off the, the part of the, the interruption type thing, but it would just be this rapid format talking about different subjects with interesting people. Or maybe would, that's a different I would, show. I don't know. I don't usually watch homes on homes. He's the, he's a Canadian home refurbisher. When somebody, when a contractor comes in and screws up the home, Holmes comes in and fixes it with his contractors. And so somehow I got sucked into a marathon of it this weekend, which I haven't watched the show in years. So I'm sucked into the marathon of it. And then all of a sudden, one of the episodes is a behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. When we were shooting that episode, here are the six things that went wrong. 
Oh, when we were shooting that episode, we ran into issues with the city permits. Oh, when we were shooting that episode, here's what happened. So it wasn't your standard episode, but it was highlights of all of the episodes brought together. And it still intrigued me because it was some of the episodes I just binged here over the last day and a half. So you could do something like that, where if you bring in, let's say it's an architectural historian and you do five episodes that all have to do with some sort of locale around the world with amazing architecture, it could be, he could bring up stuff you missed or forgot about, or why did you include that, but not this. And you could do a little behind the scenes sort of thing of why stuff left got left on the cutting room floor. And he could tell you why your interpretation of it was a little skew of what he would have taken, just things like that, which could be just as entertaining for your intellectually curious, but a little different because now we're giving people uh, behind the scenes or something they didn't catch the first goal. Which then might make them go, if they missed that episode, they might then go listen to it. Yeah, links in the show notes. Oh, definitely. Always, yeah. Yeah. always, yeah. I'm also going to be launching a newsletter for the show soon. A weekly show, a weekly newsletter, and it'll cover updates to previous episodes I've done where I may have done something. Let's say there's a new barcode that comes out. I could say, oh, here's a new thing and reference all past episodes as well as some news things about, you know, there's news stories about archaeological discoveries and uh, different things like that that you don't usually see in the news or it's really scattered everywhere. So that's something I'm going to do. And then the other thing, which I've not done yet, even though I can probably do it at any time once I can find the time, is all of these scripts that I have, when I have close to 400 now, um, to put them in a, to, to bundle them together and edit them, of course, into an ebook. And every month I'm doing about 40,000 words. So I could take all the scripts for a month and put it on an ebook in the Amazon store for the Amazon Unlimited program. And basically every month come out with a different volume and pick that as a route to monetization as well, I think. Yeah, you might even bundle them in terms of similar topics. Do one on locales and one on architecture and one on modern invention and one on foods or something. Have you ever listened to Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell? I'm familiar with the show, but I haven't listened to it. So he, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the about of revisionist history says it's Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. Every episode reexamines something from the past, an event, a person, an idea, even a song and asks whether we got it right the first time. So it's, it, that's revisionist history elicits one sort of vision in the mind. But when you read that, you're like, Oh, we're just going to go back and make sure that we interpreted it right the first time. And, He goes into concussions and all kinds of interesting topics. But just a little nugget like that when we go to describe what your show is all about for the intellectually curious and the way we go back and we look at how things we may have overlooked came about, uh, I think would go a long way in just describing what the show is, that overarching theme for your listener. But overall, I thought the show was solid. It's a, it's fun to listen to. It moves quickly. You don't get bogged down with too many details, but you give me enough detail to make the story arc interesting. And I love it. I got to go listen to infinity and beyond now. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I'm with Eric. I, I thought your audio was, was fine. I would put a voiceover over that music and just to keep things moving. 
And uh, I'm going to definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, that's the one. I think it's a very good idea. And I did think of it. And, and that, that will be implemented. Yeah. And I think had I had a barcode, I think that's the big reason why I was getting bored is I didn't have a barcode to look at. Like, <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't, I was listening on my phone, but I just uploaded the file. So I didn't have any artwork. So that was probably why I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Zeros, ones, lines, <laughs> something. I don't know. So that might've been it. But yeah, so I, it sounds like you're headed in the right direction and I would keep up the, it sounds like, as long as you're not, how, how are you mentally? Because a daily show can be like, holy Schnikes, just like draining. I have enough episodes now where if I, it'll happen maybe twice a month where I will just put up an older show and I call it an encore episode. And uh, no one has seemed to complain. They, they don't really, because most of the people have, are, are relatively recent in terms of finding the show. So a lot of the older shows, I think a lot of those topics actually were some of my favorites and I did them right away. So I have no problem right. uh, putting them back up. Awesome. Any questions for us? One of the things I've been doing is I've been buying advertising on Overcast, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic. CastBox won't take my money. And the business plan for the show is to first try to grow it as much as I can, get to some sort of critical mass where I can sell out the inventory, which is really the biggest thing. Because I have a daily show, I have more inventory than regular shows. And then as money starts coming in, and I know you've, I, I, I saw the podcasters roundtable that you did, Dave, where they're talking about spending money. And I found the same thing that Jordan Harbinger is that I'm getting a very good return on my investment in terms of, I should say, assuming once I can get to a point where I can get on a network, the value of a subscriber to me with a daily show is about 10 to $14 annually. Uh, and I can get a subscriber through buying ads for about $1 to $2. Maybe if it's not, it doesn't perform as well, $3, uh, but that's still a very good return. And I'm just looking for more places, uh, anything where I can get a bigger bang for my buck at this point. Certainly down the road as the show grows, I do think there's a, a, a big audience for it, but I just need to reach those people. And right now I'm trying to do whatever guerrilla stuff I can. That may include local media in my area. I'm looking at places where I think there could be a potential audience. This could be like homeschooling websites or uh, actually the Mensa magazine. I'm a member of Mensa, and that seems a group of people that may be interested in the show. I'm open to pretty much anything and, and any ideas as far as getting the message of the show out there. This is basically what I'm doing full-time right now. I'm not quite at full-time revenue, but I know it's going to take some time and some a couple of years to get it to that point, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the message out. The, and it sounds like, especially buying ads is great. Are there any other shows similar to yours that you could do a, a guest spot on or swap promos? I, I know a friend of mine does a show called What Was That Like? And he found that he can swap promos with, because his is all about, hey, you got attacked by a bear. What was that like? And he found that true crime somehow is similar to his, like true crime listeners would listen to his podcast. So he just had a thing where he would find people to do, hey, I will talk about your show if you talk about mine on my show. So it's a, a, a shout out swap for lack of a better phrase. I've done that, but I'm in a really weird position with where my show is right now. I'm not, like I said, I'm not at that level where it's like the 10,000 downloads an episode. And I'm not at that point where you have this vast majority of podcasters that get like under a hundred. Yeah. I'm in the Jan Brady 
level <laughs> where not too big, not too small. And finding people in that category has been really hard because there's, like I said, there's a lot of people who've been doing it a long time and they have bigger audiences. And then there's these people who have just started and they have tiny audiences. And yeah, I can think of shows, but I, it would usually be this lopsided sort of deal where I'd get the better end of it. I don't know what I could offer them. I would not limit your exposure for your partner to just your podcast. So if you have, let's say you have 3000 downloads and your partner has 10,000 downloads and they're like, it's not apples to apples, give them three mentions to their one mention or include them in your newsletter in your email in your social media for their like use a cumulative audience rather than just the listeners to that particular episode and just match, try and match them that way. So if they have 9,000 and you have 3,000, you need to give them three to one, or you can say, I'll include you in the email, in my newsletter, share your episode on my social media to my 10,000 followers and include you on my podcast. If you mention me on your show, like just don't limit what you have to offer and the exposure you have to offer to your partner. Yeah. And you might actually get, you're talking about like overcast ads are not cheap and you might be able to find a smaller show that really fits your audience and say, Hey, I'd like to sponsor your, your podcast for the whole month for 30 bucks. And they'll be like $30. And you're like, yeah, awesome. Where do I sign up? Where you might end up with a big chunk of their audience checking you out, it's not going to be as big a numbers as overcast, but it's also not going to be as much money. And that's going to be more in line with your listener though. So it's going to be a smaller audience, but a, a better, richer, better quality audience. Cause that's what Jordan's doing. He's just going for bigger shows that are getting the 5,000 downloads and he's going through agencies to get ads on those shows if you have somebody who really fits your audience, but they're not getting 5,000 downloads, then just go to them directly and say, yeah, I'll give you X amount of money if you you know, play this 30-second promo or even better, if you talk about my show on your show, it might actually bring you just as many people for a lot less money. Gary, should... you, have you ever read Mental Floss, the magazine? I'm familiar with the website. Yeah, I, I use it a lot for researching shows. So that, that I would offer to write articles for them as long as the byline has your podcast in it, because what you do fits exactly with what they do. Like I used to subscribe to Mental Floss. I don't even know if they publish anymore, but I go to their website now for the seven reasons pyramids are triangular or whatever, whatever the, they're great stories. But the, it reminds me a lot of what you create. It's that I never thought of that. I never thought of why cats always land on their feet. And Gary's going to tell me about it. That's the kind of article Mental Floss would have. And that might be a great partnership for you outside of podcasting. I should mention, Dave, one of the th- with Overcast, what I do every single day at midnight is I go to Overcast and I have a spreadsheet where I chart the prices for all the categories that I potentially would buy in. And I've come pretty good at buying when it's low. And you can usually save half as much. It also depends on the category. Like history is cheap compared to the business categories. But I like my, I'm running an ad right now in the history category and I bought it for $320. And I've seen it as high as 800. So a lot of that is just, in fact, I've been thinking I should just make a website that tracks this stuff and sell access or something because (laughs) there'd probably be value in it. But yeah, that's how I've gotten around that. There are websites that do that for Amazon. One was like Camel, which is the weirdest name ever, but it would let, you could say, look, I'm watching 
this microphone and it would email you like, hey, there's a price drop with the Sure SM7B. And then they would, of course, give you their affiliate link. It's I'm not sure. It's one of those things where it's you're throwing something against a wall. But if there are more people now that are looking at, hey, how I'm going to grow my podcast is I'm going to buy sponsorship on other podcasts. So might be you know something to think about. If you're going to be doing it anyway, you might as well take the time you put into it and sell it. So, sure. Yeah. Eric, any other final thoughts here as we we wrap things up? No, I think we nailed it. I think I, I think it's a solid show, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah. Again, you can find Gary over at everything-everywhere.com. You can find Eric over at podcasttalentcoach.com. You can find me at schoolofpodcasting.com. And if you'd like to have your show right here on the Podcast Review Show, just go over to podcastreviewshow.com. If you want to go directly there, it's podcastreviewshow.com slash review me. I can't just do one call to action. I got to do two. It's a sickness. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again with a new episode real soon. Until then, remember, there's always room for improvement. This podcast is part of the Power of Podcasting Network. Find it at powerofpodcasting.com. Changing the world, one download at a time.